Welcome to our podcast, Deep Dive, MTR Explores Subsea Technology. I'm your host, Rhonda Meniz, and this is your portal to the latest news on all things subsea technology. This episode is brought to you by the publishers of Marine Technology Reporter, the world's largest circulation publication serving the global scientific, defense, and offshore energy subsea market. For more information, visit marinetechnologynews.com. And welcome to this first episode of Deep Dive. I'm pretty excited today. We have uh, Emily Shemshenia from the Regional Wildlife Science Collaborative for Offshore Wind. That's our WSC, and she's the director. And then we've got Dan Shropshire. Uh, he works as the business development. He's the VP of business development for vehicles over at Teledyne Marine. And I've known Dan for a long time, and I've been working with Emily. I've worked with both of them. So um, really great people and very smart people and doing really cool work. So I'm pretty excited today to be have them both on um, our Virgin episode of Deep Dive. So it's exciting. I want to start with Emily because... Um, Let's just talk a little bit about what RWSC does, who who you are, what your goals are, and sort of set the stage for that. And then we can talk a little bit about um, Dan and what he's doing with Teledyne and how Teledyne is involved with RWSC. I think this is a, an important conversation because, you know, as everyone's aware, for the first time in the U.S., we've got this wind farm going up uh, on the... Um, East Coast. And, you know, it's a pretty big deal. And everybody's sort of looking at what's going on over here, what our WSC is doing, because those permitting and those areas around other parts of the country are going to start to pop up. And so everybody's looking to see what's happening here first. So Emily, can you uh, tell us a little bit about our WSC and what, what, what you do and what's going on over there? Yeah, sure. And thanks for having me and having RWSC on your first episode. This is a a great honor. Um, Yeah, so RWSC was formed a couple years ago now by the federal agencies, the Atlantic Coast states, the offshore wind developers with Atlantic Coast lease interests, and several ENGOs, both national scale and regional scale ENGOs, Um, They formed it together so that they could collaborate more effectively with each other and with the research community um, on all of the different types of data collection and research activities that are going on now and will continue to monitor uh, the offshore wind and wildlife environment variables and basically the, the state of the ecosystem now that we're adding offshore wind to it. So Um, They're each independently and sometimes collaboratively funding data collection and research related to wildlife and offshore wind. And it's a lot to keep track of. Um, And as you said, Rhonda, with the first couple wind farms now under construction, um, there's a lot of monitoring happening, a lot of data collection on whales and seabirds and fish and habitat. And it's too big for one entity, one agency, or one group to to just get their arms around. So they basically all come together under RWSE and talk to each other 
meet with each other really frequently to share what they're all doing um, and to look for opportunities to collaborate and leverage funding that each of them has, or at least be aware about what, what all they're doing so that they don't collect redundant information, redundant data, or they have the opportunity to create efficiencies um, and pool funds together where it makes sense. So we um, provide this forum, RWSE um, provides this forum and some staff to help support those, those conversations and that collaborative work. And we do that a couple different ways. We convene each of those sectors together alone. Um, we call them sector caucuses. So the federal agencies meet together, the states meet together, and so on, the industry and the ENGOs. Um, and they do that fairly frequently. Um, and we also have six expert subcommittees that are based, um, they're each looking at a, a different marine taxonomic group. So there's a marine mammal subcommittee, there's a sea turtle subcommittee, um, and so on. And those groups are places where those four sectors, the staff working on those topics can get together, but they also bring in experts from academia, from all the great research institutions up and down the Atlantic coast. And they share information, um, review monitoring plans, review analysis methods, talk about some of the observations they're all seeing out there in the field um, and they've been providing some input on what our most urgent data gaps and research needs are. And those have been compiled recently in what we're referring to as our draft science plan that's posted on our website now. It's been there since the beginning of July and it's available for public comment. So that document, which is actually over 400 pages, <laughs> um, <laughs> is pretty comprehensive. Uh, the experts you know, gave us their input and told us what what was urgently needed, um, what research we should be doing to understand if there are any potential impacts to all of these different marine life groups and species related to offshore wind. And that document basically compiles everything in one place. And it describes some of the ongoing work so we can understand, well, if this is happening over here, should we be using a similar method over there so that one day the data are comparable and we can pool that information and look for regional scale or broader uh, impacts um, or effects, potential effects from this offshore wind development on the ecosystem. And that's it's true. There's a lot of work uh, has gone into um, developing that draft science plan and a lot of really smart people from all different avenues uh, have been working on it. So there's, as Emily mentioned, there's the six subcommittees. So there's, you know, sea turtles, there's habitat, there's birds and bats, there's protected fish, there's marine mammals, and there's technology. Uh, the technology subcommittee is the subcommittee that I'm involved in that I've been working with Emily on and um, that Dan is involved in um, and Teledyne is involved in. And of course, the technology subcommittee goes across all of the other taxa because sea turtles and marine mammals or habitat or birds and bats, whatever it might be, they're all using different technologies, right? They're using different technologies and um, everybody, you know, the point is to look at everything and to see what's out there, to see what projects are happening, to see what new technology is coming along where those, as, as Emily mentioned, where those gaps are. And it's really um, a huge undertaking, but it's also uh, really fascinating how everybody's come together and provided input. And Dan, I know you're also on the technology subcommittee. And um, 
you know, you were invited in as a part of the industry. And so obviously Teledyne is one of the um, industry representatives in that technology subcommittee. And, you know, can you talk a little bit about why you think it's important for industry to be involved and, you know, sort of a little bit from your, your side of things? Sure. Yeah, no, I, again, I also want to just say thank you for having me as well today and, and Teledyne to, to talk on this inaugural podcast. It's um, definitely exciting for us as well and exciting to see the you know advances here. Um, as, as far as uh, RWSC goes in the technology subcommittee, um, yeah, it definitely is important to have industry involved um, and not just industry, but research institutes and others as well that are really working on technology. Um, you know, that we can bring solutions to the problems that are being presented in a way that hopefully makes it, you know, easier or, you know, makes it makes the data more reliable um, so that, you know, it's either easier to gather that data, um, perhaps doing it in a, in a more safe manner such that people don't necessarily have to be involved um, or whether that's doing it in, you know, places where, you know, humans really can't go or, it's not really great ways of gathering data. And I think in this particular case, you know, around the windmills and the wind farms, and that is the case, you know, it's, it can be a fairly dangerous or hazardous environment. So involving technology in a way that doesn't rely on humans is, is definitely advantageous. Um, and I think Emily would agree with this too. We're looking for a repeatability of the data and a way to, you know, start to gather statistics such that um, when there are further discussions about the data, um, there's less, you know, ambiguity in that such that you can rely on that data and really, you know, count that it is it is meaningful. So, you know, you can imagine some of these issues get somewhat politicized. And I think that is, uh, you know, obviously having technology in there helps sort of, again, level the playing field. So as far as Teledyne goes, you know, we have several technologies of our own, which, you know, we're bringing to this area. Um, but I think I'm sort of representing industry in general and sort of what we can bring to the table to help address, you know, some of those issues in the subcommittee. Right. And there's also, you know, I mentioned a lot of work has gone into this. So for the technology, technology portion, and that's part of what this podcast is about. It's we're doing a deep dive into, you know, subsea technology. And, and that's uh, one of the reasons I thought, you know, having Emily and Dan on would be really a great idea for first guests, because this is a huge thing going on here on the East Coast, that again is affects is going to affect and have uh, ripple effects. I, I guess I should say on um, the rest of what goes on here with offshore wind around um, the rest of the country. And you know, as uh, Emily mentioned, and then you know, Dan got into a little bit. The technology aspect is uh, obviously a big part of this, and you know, so what happened, and you can talk a little bit about this, Emily, um, as well, if you would, um, it was the technology subcommittee worked on the chapter. So there's chapters for each subcommittee. And one of the things that we did was to break it down into uh, monitoring, mitigation, and then data management. Can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, why uh, breaking it down that way? And, and what are some of the things that have come up in our meetings and um, in, in some of the talks and some of the stuff that's some of the work that's gone on so far? Yeah, sure. Um, I first, I think that the technology subcommittee is really cool because it crosses all those taxa. Um, and there's a lot of great folks with just 
diverse experience in the subcommittee, people who are thinking about each of those different species groups, people like Dan who are, you know, building the tools and testing the technologies themselves, and then researchers who are looking for new solutions, um, industry members who, uh, from the offshore wind industry, the companies that are looking for solutions, and then scientists and experts within the agencies who are also looking um, to technology to solve some of these problems, most most important of which is just the volume of information that we need to collect or that we will be collecting given the scale of offshore wind development. So when you think about the hundreds and hundreds of turbines um, across almost the entire Atlantic coast at this point in plan, in some, some level of planning phase, right, whether it's you know, actually being built now or just conceptual like it is um, up in the Gulf of Maine, um, there's just going to be so much data. So given that the topic can kind of get overwhelming, the subcommittee tried to break it down in a, in a number of different ways. And the first way was what Rhonda just described, which is we know we can use technologies for three main purposes where we wanted to focus the subcommittee's efforts. One being monitoring, just simple surveillance of the environment and marine life. And that involves, again, addressing the volume of data problem, the fact that we want to be basically watching everything all the time um, and getting into environments that may be harsh or unsafe for humans. Um, and in, um, you know, thinking about even just underwater is, is, a place where we just don't have that many observations of marine life at night. We don't have that many observations of marine life by humans because we don't go out on boats in the winter or at night. So we have this interesting, you know, survey bias and availability bias problem that we can help solve with technology. So monitoring is one big topic. Then you have mitigation, which is really important too, to um, understand where there may be impacts that are likely to occur or really severe um, and using technology to help avoid those um, or mitigate those impacts. So things like, you know, reducing um, the intensity of noise from pile driving or reducing the chance that birds will collide with turbine blades. There's a number of ways to apply technology to solve problems like that. And then the final one kind of feeds from those other two data management. I, you know, just talked about how much data we're going to have from those other two streams of information, and it's all being collected offshore. So how do we get that data back to us on land and into the hands of researchers that, or analysts that will be able to tell us what the data mean in a secure way? Um, there may be considerations for really sensitive data about the locations of endangered species that need special protection. Um, just again, the volume of information and storing it and making sure it doesn't get corrupted or that we don't lose it for some reason. There's a lot of money being put into collecting this data. We need to make sure that it's being managed safely, effectively, and can be used quickly. So lots of different technological advances, I think, could help in that realm as well. And so we want to keep those three prongs in mind as we do uh, work with this subcommittee. And we think the people we've compiled so far or pulled together can help us do that. Um, there's another, you know, other couple topics that have come up related to evaluating technology um, and some of what Dan was talking about, like ensuring that the data that come from these new technologies are good data that we can trust. The subcommittee is really interested in that as well, and maybe convening a workshop series in the new, in the near future to kind of 
understand and start thinking about ways that we can consistently evaluate technologies to be able to determine how good the information is, you know, with with respect to maybe traditional methods or um, some of the older, more reliable tools that we all know and have have tested and you know kind of grown up learning about in in school and our education. Now we have all these new tools on the on the horizon. Just need to know more about them and make people more comfortable using them, um, make them more familiar to the research community, so that there's you know higher uptake and use. Um, and this subcommittee has really embraced advancing that topic as well. As the blue economy grows globally, Marine Technology Reporter has the world's largest audited subsea audience. MTR offers insights and analysis from researchers, innovators, and thought leaders in ocean, subsea commerce, defense, and academia. At MTR, we always stay one step ahead. For more information on how you can stay on the cutting edge, go to www.marinetechnologynews.com. And, and Dan, can you talk a little bit about where in those three areas, um, Teledyne or technology specifically, uh, Teledyne, of course, um, where you think that Teledyne fits, uh, the technology that um, sure. you develop, older technology, newer technology on the horizon type sure. of technology? Yeah, I think the whole arena for wind farms is pretty interesting uh, from a Teledyne standpoint, but sort of, I will say from a vehicle, you know, remote, remotely pilot or autonomous vehicle standpoint, which is really where my particular focus is in our group here um, in Cape Cod, Massachusetts, you know, that's, that's our facility is really focused on vehicles. Um, Certainly there's a lot more outside of that. Acoustics is another big area, which, you know, I want to touch on, but um, you know, for us, that's sort of the main areas uh, where, where we play. There are certainly a lot of other technologies. Emily was referring to maybe a few of those, but, um, and I'm not as much an expert on those, but I will say the technologies really do range pretty broadly across a, a, a large scope. So whether that's visual cameras, you know, or infrared sensors or cameras, um, that are sort of above water looking at things, uh, or whether there are acoustic sensors, primarily even you know microphones, again listening uh, above the water. Um, then subsea, you've got hydrophones, uh, which you know are below the water that are doing a similar job of listening, you know, for um, you know mammals in particular, but you know any sea life nearby. Um, and then there are other sort of more active systems, whether that's, again, subsea cameras or sonars um, that are out there that are also doing the same thing. So there's a lot of different technologies there, you know, across the board that are sort of being utilized, um, even radar above water. So subsea tech, specifically for Teledyne, um, we have a series of vehicles in particular, and I'll mention the glider our, our subsea glider uh, to start, but it's a buoyancy driven vehicle. And the glider is an interesting platform for offshore wind monitoring in that it is, uh, it's fully autonomous. Um, it is not, does not have a very big footprint. So it, logistics uh, are, are minimal. Um, it takes a couple people to, to you know, put it in the water and take it out when needed. 
it is a long duration platform that, that also helps with the operations and maintenance. The gliders can be in the water anywhere from you know three months to even longer, nine months. We've demonstrated over a year of operation on a single battery charge before with gliders. Um, but their job is to passively monitor around the, the wind farms. Um, and they can, they can do a number of different jobs while passively monitoring. Primarily, it's acoustics. Again, it would be putting uh, a hydrophone or a listening device on the glider as it patrols around the wind farm. Um, and we can detect mammals almost a kilometer away uh, from a glider uh, that would indicate that they're in the area. And, and after that data is downloaded and processed, you can even identify the species of, of mammals. So it gives you a good idea somewhat of count of those animals, also your proximity to where the um, wind farms are and location. So you're getting quite a bit of information there just from a single unit that um, is patrolling. And again, once it's in the water, it could be nine months just off doing that. And you can also have multiple gliders, so coordination uh, around these wind farms of um, these units so that you're covering much broader areas. Um, so a kilometer may not sound like much, but you put several units in the water and you can you know, cover quite a, quite a bit of area with not a lot of units. So um, those are some examples of some of the work uh, that, that we you know, are doing at Teledyne to help in this area. And we've partnered with a number of academic institutions, most namely Rutgers University, on working on this problem. So um, there's a number of people you know, right now looking at these types of solutions and working on them. Yeah, it's amazing how much um, how much is going on. Really, you know, Emily um, mentioned it earlier in the conversation. There is just so much out there, and to sort of put it all together and and take a look at it and try to organize it and make it so that you know it's um, you know so people can take a look and and have everything there in in one spot. It's um, it is definitely a challenge. And one of the things that has been interesting, and I want to ask you this, Emily, because I know that you get asked this a hundred times. So because RWSC is really at the forefront, right? Really the designing the blueprint on some levels of what a lot of other um, similar organizations that will come up in different areas around the country will want to do. I know that this has come up um, a few times is, is RWSC is regional, right? So it's a regional wildlife science collaborative and it's going to stay regional, right? It's not going to end up spreading around the rest of the country. Cause I know you get that, that question a lot. I know people ask me that question a lot too. And so I wanted to, you to be able to explain a little bit about that too. Yeah, sure. It, it is some of the most common, um, questions that I get is about our our geographic scope and our study area. So when the entities that I mentioned came together to envision this concept, they were all Atlantic Coast-based um, states and federal agencies. And that the Atlantic is, of course, where the first wind turbines were installed off of Block Island. It's the first, you know, commercial scale projects being installed right now or on the Atlantic Coast. So um, it made sense that this concept for RWIC was kind of born from that need. Um, and they, they envisioned or, you know, they were addressing this need where like data collection starting now, we need to coordinate, let's form an RWIC. Um, but the concept is entirely portable to other places. And that's kind of the beauty of it is that um, you can replicate 
and build off of what the Atlantic Coast RWOC has done, probably in, in many other areas, when you bring together the appropriate experts in each of those sectors, right? So in the Gulf of Mexico, for example, you might have different um, offices of those same federal agencies, but folks with the expertise in the ecosystem in the Gulf of Mexico being involved and the Gulf of Mexico states instead of the Atlantic coast states and the developers who have interest in developing offshore wind in the Gulf of Mexico and ENGOs that know that ecosystem well and know the stakeholders well, right? So um, you bring in the experts from the universities and industry and and different you know consulting companies that operate in that ecosystem and know um, what some of the environmental challenges are and know what the marine life does out there and and all those different considerations um, can be kind of customized to the particular group so we've talked to folks in the Gulf of Mexico we've talked to folks on the west coast that are um, pretty far along and forming a similar, entity to form to, to perform the same or similar kinds of functions that the Atlantic Coast RWSE does. And all of our materials that we develop and and um, maintain our, our governance structure, which talks about all the different subcommittees and groups and all the stakeholders, our meeting notes, our draft science plan, all of that is available on our website, completely open for people to take and modify or take and study and come ask us questions about, you know, what did we learn? Um, what worked and what didn't? We're happy to share all of that so that, you know, similar efforts can spin up in other places. Um, one thing that the current RWSE steering committee, which is um, has equal representation from those four sectors, is a small 12-member steering committee that helps guide the strategic direction of this Atlantic Coast RWSE. One thing that they've mentioned to me is they think it would be really helpful um, and really important to convey to other regions that um, we're working through some challenges that are kind of relevant across the board, regardless of your geography. So data management challenges, data standardization challenges, um, things that don't necessarily depend on where you are located physically in the country. Um, they they hope that we make those we're able to make those resources available to those other regions and they can build off of them and not have to go back to the beginning and reinvent the wheel and have some of the conversations that we had two years ago, um, but kind of you know start with a, a, a jump start from the work that has been accomplished on the Atlantic coast. So we've been really trying to be really intentional about that and sharing um, things that we think are universal to this sort of effort. And when you say the Atlantic coast, can you just talk a little bit about the, what that footprint is from where to where so people get an understanding of um, yeah. the coverage? It is. I mean, in our in our governance, governance structure document, it says anywhere where offshore wind is planned or proposed on the Atlantic coast. So right now, that means from the Gulf of Maine, so U.S. waters from the Gulf of Maine and all the way down through South Carolina, so the, the southernmost lease areas are in the Carolina Long Bay area. So we are engaging currently states, all of the Atlantic coast states from South Carolina through Maine participate in RWSE and all of those developers that own or, um, you know, have an interest in all of those leases that are currently operational. And there's 27 of them. There are 27 lease areas on the Atlantic coast and more to come because they're currently planning 
um, additional leases in the central Atlantic, currently planning additional leases in the Gulf of Maine. They're each working through a stepwise process that BOEM makes public and very transparent. So in due time, um, we'll have leases there, but um, those states have kind of foreseen the need to be involved and we've got really good uptake that entire length of the coast. Dan, you better start uh, building more vehicles over there at yeah. uh, Teledyne Marine. It sounds like you're going to need to. long battery life, how far can you get? I'm, I'm curious. Uh, yeah, it has to get back. So what's the round trip like? Well, I think the, the one glider I mentioned, um, which is called Silbo, is the name of it. It's our, our own glider. We had purposefully launched it to do long duration missions, you know, to kind of stretch it to see how far we can go. But I think that was 13,000 kilometers on that one flight so wow. yeah wow that's amazing that's so yeah. cool. it's pretty, pretty exciting. It's, all- it's definitely trans transoceanic crossings i mean we've done several of those so yeah cool and it's also um because i've talked with uh, some of the other universities um too but um it's also the uh tagging the animal tagging as well <clears throat> is another application for using the auvs at least and i know the gliders yeah. uh, in addition uh, I know the University of Alaska Fairbanks, uh, Hank over there is yeah. using, uh, he's been tagging salmon and they're tagging, I think the North Pacific uh, right whale. I, I, I might, I might be, I might have this, I know the North Atlantic right whale obviously very well, but I swore it was the same thing, but in the Pacific, but I might have that wrong just in case I don't want to have any yeah. mammal person come down on me, well, but I know there's a sp- species of whale yeah. that they're tagging up there too. They're, they're um, doing some other interesting work too, uh, where they're using AZFPs, which are high frequency echo sounders, but to look at biomass. So you can look at, you know, small, smaller scale animals, uh, phytoplankton, et cetera, you know, under these, these instruments, um, and basically get, in, you know, density counts, um, which is the same. So you have a glider with that sensor mounted on it now um, that's doing these deep dives. So you're getting really interesting profiles, um, you know, around, well, anything. But again, just another way of in situ getting a measurement of marine life, um, you know, remotely. So, yeah, it, it like your, your point, Rhonda, in this fish tagging so we can actually track fish and fish movements. Um, counts, fish counts, you can get some of that as well. But even at the very small scale, um, you can you can get good ideas of sort of the whole chain, you know, the chain of life basically from small to large um, using some of these instruments. Um, Teledyne also makes uh, a receiver for some of those at Benthos. We have the acoustic tags. They feed a, a modem a system, a community, subsea communication system for doing some of that too. So there's a company in Canada makes the tags tags go to a receiver um, so you can track fish that way. And then the receiver then transmits that data through um, subsea communication modems that we make uh, to the surface. And then that data gets collected. And we've outfitted some of our gliders with some of those uh, receivers as well. So they can interrogate a line of these fish trackers. Um, And we're working with OTN up in Canada on some of those projects. So yeah, this is somewhat all interrelated, but, but, but definitely all applicable to the wind farm industry. Yeah. Absolutely. And even the floor cameras you guys have too. That's another application I would think for birds and bats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, FLIR's is a fairly <laughs> new addition to the Teledyne family, but that's right. They're, you know, one of the preeminent uh, IR you know, infrared sensor optics companies around lots and lots of cameras, different uses. Um, so yeah, that's, that's another above, above water tracking mechanism. Yeah. 
Yeah, because when you were talking and and you know between b- b- talking to both of you, I'm thinking of all. Obviously, I go to, I t- attend the other subcommittee meetings, so I'm in, because of the technology subcommittee and going you know being across the taxa, and so things keep popping up. I'm thinking about the protected fish species, and then the birds and bats, and I'm thinking, oh, maybe I should put them in touch with Dan. Maybe yeah. I should leave Dan alone. <laughs> That's okay. No, we'll take it, right? I mean, it's all it's all good stuff. But yeah, yeah it's, it's interesting. And then, you know, we didn't touch on this either, but then there's the pre and post construction survey work that's going on that's very important as well. And so, you know, vehicles, both boats, you know, serve autonomous surface boats, as well as subsea uh, autonomous underwater vehicles equipped with mapping sonars are out there doing work. So whether that's cable um, tracking or cable lay, cable route laying, you know, for, for cables, um, whether that's just seafloor habitat mapping, whether that's seafloor topography to see where you can place things. Um, these vehicles also have sub profile or sub um, sub bottom profilers, but these are bottom penetrating sonar. So you can look, you know, 50 meters under the sand to see what the structure is so that you know what you're building on top of or into. So there's lots of technologies, again, even post or in you know, pre and post construction of the of the wind farms, which are you know utilizing some advanced technology. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pretty exciting world. We're really happy to be part of it, and yeah, it's fun to watch. It is, and that's why it's great to have you on the technology subcommittee because uh, you guys are doing a lot. You have a lot of um, technology and it across all the taxa for a, a mm-hmm. number of applications. So yeah, it's, true. it's been really good having you on that uh, technology subcommittee for sure. Um, I think um, one of the another really cool thing about the technology subcommittee is that a lot of the wildlife biologists and researchers, and I will even put I'm not either of those things, but I'll put myself in this category. I was I have expertise in seafloor mapping, but even I don't I don't keep up on what the technology is that's available, and so having folks that are in that world in the the technology development community, tech startups, join these meetings um, and share what they're working on, share what the newest and the latest technology is, is super helpful for just joint problem solving. Because often people who have the tech don't realize how it could be applied. And people who are studying the wildlife don't realize that there's tech out there that can help them collect data faster or better or do get to some place that they didn't think they could get to. So the call to action, I think, Rhonda, is anyone that has an interest in this field can feel free to join these technology subcommittee meetings. We call them subcommittee meetings, but they're really open entirely to the public and people can participate from across, you know, across sectors and wherever you're coming from. We invite that participation. We do post everything online and we record everything so that folks can go back to the archive and and read up and see what you missed. But um, we really welcome participation from everybody because that makes our problem solving better. And often new people coming in have this, you know, creative lens that that we all don't have because we're thinking about this problem for a really long time or something like that. Right. So the the participation, we just really want to encourage folks to not feel weird about coming in and lurking. A lot of people do. A lot of people just come in and listen. Um, and we think that's great. So we, we welcome everyone. That's a really good point. And, and it's funny because it's, that's an excellent point because even being in the technology sub- subcommittee and, and going to the other subcommittee meetings, 
all of these things that come up, uh, they, exactly what you just said happens so often that now we're having other subcommittee leads come in and speak in like, I've talked in the protected fish uh, meeting and in turtles and we've got the turtle lead uh, person um, who's for the, for that subcommittee come in and talk to protected fishes and she'll come into the, and it's exactly what you said. You know, there's all of these different, there's all this overlap and all of these problems that need solutions coming up in all these different areas and for different applications and different um, species and different taxa and, and it's true. It's a great way to be able to have people collaborate and all sit at the same table and discuss everything. So it's been it's been a really cool um, experience for me personally. And I, I agree. I, I encourage anybody that's interested, even in just going to uh, you know rwsc.org and checking out. You know, you can see their events. So all the subcommittee meetings are there. If you want to go to one uh, or any of them. And you can also go into each subcommittee has a public folder. You can look at previous meetings. You can watch uh, the Zoom you know, recordings. Uh, a lot of the subcommittees have summaries. And some of them are further along than others. So, you know, the Marine Mammal Subcommittee, for example, has a lot more meetings because they started a year previously than, say, the technology, which is we've had four meetings. But there's a lot of information there. And then as we talked about earlier there's also the draft science plan open for everybody to take a look at so yeah that's that's i agree 100 percent um it's a it's a really cool thing to be involved in and and yeah just jump on one of the meetings everybody does and and it's really fascinating um so i encourage that as well um so if you uh, are interested in getting some more information i just mentioned rwsc's website but i'll mention it again it's rwsc.org and if you want to know more about Teledyne Marine's products and uh, some of the stuff that we talked about with Dan today, you can go to TeledyneMarine.com and get some more information there. And you can always reach out and ask questions and get in touch with people. And it's a really cool group of people, um, both at Teledyne and RWSC, and everybody's really friendly. So, uh, you know, reach out and take a look and see what's there. It's uh, some amazing stuff going on. It's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited and pretty proud to be a part of it. So, so thank you guys so much for being on the first episode of Deep Dive. And um, I appreciate you taking the time because I know you both have really busy schedules. So, uh, and I'm fully aware of that working with both of you. So I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having us. This episode of Deep Dive was brought to you by the publishers of Marine Technology Reporter. Interested in being a guest or a sponsor for Deep Dive? For more information about this podcast and many other opportunities for your company to stay informed and in the know, go to marinetechnologynews.com. And as usual, hit like and subscribe anywhere you get your podcast. See you again on the next Deep Dive.